Welcome back to After Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC OKC, Michael Chiesa versus Kevin Lee. And Shaq, how's it going, man? It's going good, man. I'm uh, excited to talk fights again this week, and uh, things have been going good, so let's keep them rolling. Man, it is max bet season. You know, John Tuck came through easily, but Marcy and Tibora, that was the sweat of the century, man. But uh, somehow, <laughs> by the skin of his teeth, as Benson Henderson would say, came out with the victory. Yeah, man, it was a good fight. You know, um, he slowed down in that second, but, I mean, uh, he rallied and, you know, did what he had to do in that third round to seal off the win. Indeed he did. And uh, now we're looking for more opportunities. The season continues. And let's get right down to business, man, because, look, we got Tony Martin. He's minus 135. The comeback on Johnny Case is plus 115. It's been a while since we've seen Johnny Case fight. It hasn't been since that that fight in Australia against Jake Matthews. We all remember what happened there. And Tony Martin is coming off the first win streak in his UFC career. Who are you giving the edge to in this one, man? Man, it's a good fight. You know, uh, when Tony Martin, boom, both of these guys first came in, I mean, they had pretty high expectations. You know, uh, Tony Martin... Went in there against Rashid, his first fight, then Benil Dariush's second, and, you know, he took some severe beatings in those. But, I mean, he seemed to uh, come back. You know, now he's not fading in late, fading late like he used to. Now he's actually getting that experience underneath him, and he's prevailing in those uh, late-round situations. You know, Case, um, he came in another high prospect, had a good run. Then, you know, he stumbled his last fight against, uh, well, let's say his last couple fights because the Jan Cabral fight, he didn't look so great. I mean, it was a close decision. It could have went either way, but he got through that. And then against uh, Jake Matthews, you know, we know what happened. You know, he got hurt in that soft little frame. But, you know, uh, Case is actually a lot better than I thought, man. I mean, he's got some clean little flashy techniques he throws. He likes to slip off, like kind of... Dominic Cruz s a little bit, you know, he used to train with him and uh, he's got some little flashy things that I like, you know, um, you know, I'm gonna take case in this one, you know, because uh, I think he can stuff the takedown. He's training with good uh, dudes at the lab that can prepare him for that. And, you know, even though uh, Tony's getting better and not breaking, I think uh, he is prone to getting wobbled at times. We've seen him wobble wobbled a lot and you know when things don't go his way i know he's been prevailing late but this is such a, a grudge match these two have been talking so much i feel like when things won't go his way this time i feel like he might uh not look for the door but just diminish and i think case is just gonna stuff the takedowns you know land the cleaner more flashier techniques and uh edge out a decision here you bring some very good points to the table man and you know, with Tony Martin, he's the guy that he goes from fighting on the regional scene to all of a sudden he's fighting Rashid and Benny in the UFC. You know what I'm saying, man? He uh, he got fed to the wolves right away. But he persevered. Now he's on a win streak. He's starting to put it together. And, you know, I spoke to him on Half the Battle, and he said that he got to the UFC by just being an athlete. But now he feels like he's got the skill set to compete at the highest level. And, you know, in that first round... He goes out there and he looks like a world champion. It's just after that first round, you know, whether it's the fact that he is fighting high-level guys such as Benny and Leo Santos and Rashid Magomedov or whether that's just who Tony Martin is, I do feel like he proved in his last couple fights, such as the Felipe Oliveri fight where 
he had to overcome early adversity, go out there and get the finish in the third round. And then also in the Alex White fight, you know, he had a very dominant first round. Alex White goes out there, cracks him with a big left behind the ear, stumbles Tony Martin, you know, maybe maybe he would have quit in the past. But I feel like he might be over that point, man, and he's persevered. Now, the thing with Johnny Case is, like you mentioned, that soft frame. I'm not sure if the new testing regulations have anything to do with that or if that's just how he's built. But the way he was getting hit to those body shots and the way he was reacting as Jake Matthews, that's not something that... You know, that, that's something you got to take note of. Like, you know, you, you see, you know, you, you know, when people talk about Matt Brown, you know, in the body and uh, Cowboy Cerrone as well. So you definitely got to take note that Johnny Case has a very soft frame here. And also, he kind of has that bully mentality going that like, we like to talk about with guys like Derek Bronson and these front runners where when it's going early... I mean, he looks like a world champion. He looks amazing. And, you know, it's funny because his opponent, Tony Martin, is the same way, way, right? (laughs) But with with Johnny Case, you know, that Jake Matthews fight, that first brawl he had, that was just, that was beautiful. The way he reversed that takedown and got in top position. But he he ate a couple body shots, and all of a sudden, his body language is changing. He's not as confident anymore, you know? And he, uh, he, he gave up in that fight, man. And I do think that... You know, I don't always think that the bigger guy is going to win the fight, but I feel like the size of Tony Martin, he's got some serious size going into this fight. I feel like he's going to be able to wear down on Johnny Case and eventually tap him out or or win the decision here. So I'm going to go against the, against you here, man, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take Tony Martin to get it done. Nice, yeah. You hit some uh, you hit some good points. Um, you know, a lot of people say you know uh, when he lost to Jake, you know. Two of the uh, two of the judges had him up to oh, and when I rewatched it, I actually, I think Jake did win the first round, but it, it was close. You know what I'm saying? Case could have easily won that just by being flashy and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Cute. You know what I'm saying? Just real cute. You know, but uh, it's gonna be a good fight, man. Tony Martin is hell on wheels that first round. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, you remember that Benil Darius fight? He came out and put it on Benny that first round. Had him leaking. You but put it on Rashid, too. He almost Rashid tapped too, out yeah. Rashid. So, I mean, Tony Martin's got some, uh, like you said, he's an athlete. He's an athlete. Yeah, he definitely is. Now, next up, you know what time of the year is? Max best season. Indeed it is, because we got Eric Koch. He's minus 340, so a, l- a little bit of action has came in on him. He's taking on Clay Guido, who's plus 280, and, you know, Coke open minus 180. You know, I could have hit that. I elected to wait a little bit, you know, take it in a different spot, which I like better. But I got it at minus 235, which I'm totally cool paying that price because I think it should be minus 400. And uh, before I get to my breakdown, why don't you tell me what you think about Eric Coke versus Clay Guida? I mean, plain and simple, um, Guida's on his way out. I mean, let's look at his last few fights. The Dennis Bermudez fight, he goes out there and gets smashed on. Then he goes against their uh, against Thiago Tavares, shoots in one takedown, gets choked out. Then, you know, a lot of you people in the Ortega fight, a lot of you people have the assumption that he was up two rounds, but let's be honest there, he wasn't. He lost the second round. I mean, yeah, he looked a little bit better. His hands got a little bit better, but we know Ortega has the tendency to play around and make things a little bit too close and, you know, be a little lackadaisical in there. And I feel like, I feel like Ortega was in complete control in that second round. Um, 
you know, Guida's been switching camps a lot. I feel like he's lost. I feel like one minute he's at Jackson's, the next minute he's with Edmond, the next minute he's in uh, Colorado, the next minute he's now he's in Team Alpha Male. Man, I feel like he's searching, searching for things as these vets on their way out tend to do sometimes. And um, the thing with Eric Koch is, don't worry about the layoff. Because he's used to fighting on layoffs. I mean, Eric Koch pulls out a, a lot of fights, but he always comes back. And one thing about Eric Koch that we know is Eric Koch can stuff a takedown. I mean, go back and look at that Jonathan Bricken fights back in, the, back in the day. Against the fence, he stuffs everything. You know, I know he had those little mishaps against Lamas and Poirier, but that was, you know, we can attribute that to him cutting so much weight to get down to 45. And to the fact that those guys... Those guys are the world, are world-class are world dudes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Those are top five featherweights at the time. And then, you know, the Crookshank fight, me personally, I just think Crookshank was uh, seeing a doctor for that fight, if you know what I mean. I mean, and, and plus Guida has nothing. Guida is not doing that. Look, Eric Coe's going to come out here. He's going to stuff the takedowns. He's going to blast Guida with the left kick to the body, the left high kick, and the straight left even though that's the only thing Eric Koch throws is he's kind of reminds me of Till offensively, you know what I'm saying? Darren Till offensively, just because he only throws left side shots. But uh, it's gonna be enough here, man. He's not Guida's not gonna catch him with anything. Once he feels the power of that left kick, then he's gonna start questioning himself. Like I said, he's lost, and Eric Koch's gonna finish him somewhere in the uh, second round. Eric Koch is one of these. Young vets, the new breed. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he's only 28. Yeah, and he's been in the game since. But he's so experienced, and he's already been there with world class competition. And another thing about this fight is that Eric Koch is going to have a lot of size on Clay Guida, and it's going to matter in a spot like this because when Clay Guida does, you know, does his game plan where he tries to push you up against the fence, I guarantee you right now, Shaq, that Eric Koch is going to turn him around easily. Easy. And Easily. And, kick. and when you look at the posture of Eric Koch in his fight against Shane Campbell, the way he would turn him around up against the fence, his awareness in there nowadays, his takedown defense, his takedown offense, he just looks like, you know, a next generation Pettis, you know, his hand fighting, the way he parries and slips and counters and he he's that next generation fighter, man. You know, it's funny because there's a debate of you know, is is there really a next generation fighter and this or that? Because at the end of the day, fundamentals will win fights. I think he is fundamental, though, man. Oh, I 100% yeah, agree. Very fundamental. I 100% agree. But it comes down to this guy does have the fundamentals. You know what I mean? Well, he, I mean, but it's it's advanced to a point where when you watch the way that he fights the hands, when you watch the way that he slips to the outside and throws that head kick, when you watch when. Dustin Poirier drops him, and Eric Koch gets him in a triangle that I guarantee you 95% of, tap. of anyone yeah. in that division would have tapped. And, you know, let's talk about the Crookshank fight. I can tell you right now, I will put down 100 units that, that Clay Guida can't get his legs up like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Clay Guida ain't about to go pull off a combo like that. Like, that's... All there is to it, man. I think that uh, he's gonna go out there. You know, like you said, the left hand, the sh- left side shots, whether it's the liver kick, the head kick. I'm not gonna surp- gonna be surprised if it's a knockout, if it's a choke, or if it's a 30-27, kind of like that Brookins fights where you just stuff takedowns all three rounds. Much respect to Glay Guida. He's had a great career. I Look, mean, in his prime. Beat Rafael. This is a guy that beat RDA, Pettis, Nate Diaz, 
Josh Thompson, Gomi, like Clay Guida, he's done it all, man. You know what I mean? He's a stud. We respect him a lot. But at this point in time, and like you mentioned, I'm not worried about the fact that Eric Cook's only fought, you know, one time in three years because he's been doing that his whole career. The fact of the matter is when he came back last time against Shane Campbell, he looked the best he's ever looked. He looked reinvented and Man, he really looks like now he's starting to find himself at 155 pounds. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, man. he's not cutting all that way anymore. I mean, go on his Instagram. Look how big he is right now, man. He's such. He's in a really good place. The gym's doing good. He's training with Showtime. Was getting ready for a fight. He's got Emmanuel Sanchez. He's got Mike Rhodes, Sergio. I mean, Bilal. the vibe below the gym. The vibe in the gym is good right now. Not saying that Guida Guida's vibe in the gym isn't good, man. But for a guy like Coke, who needs to be around you know things like that man especially coming off the layoff and like i said the layoff is not an issue man he's come off layoffs before he fight even when he was he used to fight like once twice a year so this ain't the layoff is not an issue here so you thinking a finish or all, I'm thinking all three a second, rounds i'm thinking a second round finish you know i think uh i think the first round will consist of guida ankle diving you know holding him against the fence but we're gonna turn him and we're gonna win those clinch exchanges and, you know, we're going to separate. We're going to blast him with that left kick. And, you know, he's going to feel it. He's going to go back in the corner after round one. Not broken, but on his way. On his way. And then He's going to be bouncing up and down, yeah, which he is known yeah, for. exactly. And he's going to burp in the corner. <laughs> and then we're going to crack him with a head kick in the second round. And then, then it'll be over. Yeah. So I put five units on uh, Eric Cook. It's max bet season. And... You know, I, I looked at the under, and I understand that there's a very high possibility that it could cash, but when I play an under, it has to be a situation like last week with Tuck and Gomi where I know without a shadow of a doubt that, you know, I didn't even think that fight was going to go past the three-minute mark of the first round. It didn't even go past the one-and-a-half-minute mark of the first round. You know what I mean? In a situation like that, when you get an under at plus money, you play it hands down. But here... It's a gamble, you know. You flip a coin if you're gonna play it or not. But I, I think, I think it will cash for those that take it. But I'm personally just gonna go ahead and put the five unit max bet on Eric Cook. So let's get it. Now next up, man, Daryl Horcher. He's minus four hundred and he's taking on Devin Powell, who's plus three twenty five. Now I don't often like to say that someone's the worst fighter in the UFC. You know, we've made jokes in the past about Ruan Potts and you know guys like that. But you know, at the end of the day, we respect anyone that steps in there. But when it comes down to betting, and we saw you know, the footage on Daryl, Hor- uh, excuse me, on Devin Powell, dude, talk about bottle- talk about bottom of the barrel. I mean, this is, this is how this uh, fight breaks down. Basically, they are rewarding Daryl Horcher with the easiest opponent they could find for taking the Khabib fight on short notice. I mean, he took that fight on a... He took that fight on a week notice and, um, you know, took his ass open like a man. And, you know, they the circumstances of that fight were just terrible. I mean, they put him through hell for that. And, you know, they're giving him the worst guy on the roster. No offense to Devin Powell, but me personally, I think he's in the UFC because he's from Maine. You know, Dana White's from Maine. They were in Maine on that looking for a fight show. And, you know, he just wanted to put someone from Maine, you know, in the UFC. And we saw in the Jakar Close fight that he doesn't belong. He's a tough guy, but I mean, go, guys, go on YouTube, watch his local scene fights, and I mean, he's in there getting taken down by, by, te- the Ted Worthingtons of the world and the, 
and you know the uh, Tony Lopez's of the world. But uh, I mean, he's just not—he's not up to par, man. Look, Daryl Horcher has is coming off a motorcycle accident. We need to say that he's coming off a bad motorcycle accident. But I really don't even think it matters, man. I feel like he could show up for this fight at 70 percent and still edge it out if things. If it wasn't a clean wipeout, I, I honestly think that Powell is that not up to par. You know what I'm saying? But uh, I just think I just don't think Powell's uh, UFC level. Horcher's got some very good boxing. Go back and watch his uh, Bellator fights back in the day against Chris Liguori. I mean, he puts it on him like with the left side shots, and he's got he's got a right hook as well. So I think uh, Powell, uh, Powell's in for a rude awakening here. I think he's gonna get pieced up on the feet. Um, if he wants to take him down, we can take him down. But let's be safe because he's got some long legs. I'm sure he could pull off some tricky things off bottom. But uh, I think on the feet, Horcher's just going to piece him up and win a 30-26 decision. So on the last episode of Half the Battle, I had Drakkar close on, and he was the guy that welcomed Devin Powell into the UFC. And I asked Drakkar, is that ass-whipping you gave him, the kind of ass-whipping where he'll never come back the same? I'm just wondering because I'm a betting man, you know what I mean? And he's like, Let's just put it this way. I don't think he's going to win a fight in the UFC. You know what I mean? I mean, this is, like I said, bottom of the barrel. No disrespect, you know. Maybe he'd whoop my ass. <laughs> maybe, right? But uh, yeah, I know exactly, right? <laughs> like, maybe. maybe, exactly. But when you watch him fight, I mean, it's it's reckless. But it's not reckless in the way that you like. Like, it's not like Thomas Almeida reckless. But, like, with this guy, like, he'll back himself up into the fence, and he's very unathletic, and he'll throw, like, sidekicks that are just flimsy, and, you know, he'll let you take him down. Look, he fought a guy that was coming off a seven-fight losing streak. You know, one of those jobbers that's, like, 5-13, and 13, you know, one of those guys? And that guy took down Devin Powell, and I believe he made it all the way to a decision with him. You know what I mean? He was, like, winning rounds and shit. Like, this is, like... This is an opportunity right here. I know the line's kind of steep, but listen, man. Dar- it's easy, like. Daryl Horcher's a guy that he, he takes Khabib on, on two weeks short notice, and he's cutting like 30 pounds. He stuffed the first takedown of Khabib. He stuffed one and landed a left hand. He made it to the second round. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, the under one and a half at plus money cash there, but you know who's not going to last even a minute with Khabib? Devin Powell, (laughs) Khabib would throw Devin Powell out of the octagon, man. You know what I mean? And Daryl Horcher's an experienced guy. He fought in Bellator. You know, his only losses to a guy like Felipe Nova. And I know Felipe Nova might not have the best UFC record, but let's put it into perspective. Felipe Nova is a guy that goes to decisions with world-class competitors such as Henan Barrow. Devin Powell is nowhere near that level. Like, like Devin Powell's the kind of guy that, you know... So, you know, some of the journeymen I know around here could, could go out there and beat him, man. So this is an opportunity where I understand if, if Horcher's too, you know, too steep to play, maybe put him in open parlay, but at minus 320, I just put four units on it. And I, I, if he fucks this up, I swear to God, you know. But look, as far as the accident, man, it happened over a year ago. I have him back in May, and he overcame it. Look, he can come in here with two torn ACLs, two broken hands, and I still think he's going to be Devin Powell. You know what I mean? So, I mean, this fight kind of reminds me of uh, Artem versus Chris Avila. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, at the time, you know, Artem was coming off that terrible performance against Alex White where everyone said he doesn't belong in the UFC. He's terrible. He has no business being there. 
And, you know, Avila was like 5-2, and two, but then when I watched his local scene fights, I was like, this guy is complete, not garbage, but he just doesn't belong, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and what happened when they went out there and fought? Artem beat the shit out of him, kicked his legs in. And um, I think the same thing, it's going to be the same scenario here. I just think that the kid doesn't belong and Horch is just going to piece him up. As far as our styles, just imagine that Devin Powell's like an ultra poor man's Kiesa. (laughs) And that's like being nice as fuck. You know what I'm saying? It's just tall, lanky, but like not like not like the guys we like. You know what I'm saying? This is like this is awful, and with uh, Daryl Horcher, you know, short, stocky, explosive, can take you down, can knock you out. He's knocked out legit dudes like EJ Brooks, who arguably beat Johnny Case, you know what I'm saying? So, Daryl Horcher's legit, man, <laughs> you know? Uh, and I guarantee you, Devin Powell was, ain't about to make his UFC debut against the number one guy in the lightweight division, Khabib, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So, yeah, I think Horcher's about to go out there and smoke him. I, I don't think you guys should be worried about the layoff or the motorcycle accident. He can be coming off worse things, and he's still going to go out there and beat Devin Powell. Now, next up. Man, you, you ready to shed a tear? <laughs> We got Dennis Seaver. He's minus 210. The comeback on BJ the Prodigy Pen is plus 175. And, man, it's 2017. And, you know, what sits true with you, man? The fact that you get to max bet against BJ Penn in 2017 or the reality that you might be betting on Dennis Seaver? Well, uh, well first off, you know, to, in my opinion, you know, BJ Penn's obviously a legend, but man, I think Dennis Seaver's a legend in his own right as well. I mean, he is the poster boy for German MMA when they when it for, at European MMA, you know, early on in the UFC. I mean, not a two division champ legend. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. Like, he's the uh, the king of the spinning back kick. Like, remember the Paul Kelly fight, the uh, the uh, Spencer Fisher fight, um, even the Gray Maynard fight. But way back in the day that he lost, I mean, it was a great fight. I mean, Dennis Seaver is uh, one of the pioneers for European MMA. And, you know, BJ Penn's a legend in his own right, two, two-way world champion. Um, but uh, my thing with this fight is I think Dennis has more left in the tank. Don't get me wrong. Dennis is old. He's, he's on his way out as well. But I feel like he's still got those explosive traits in him. I feel like he can still he's still going to crack hard early in round one. You know what happens after round one, though. He'll slow down and he'll, he'll go back to the lead left kick and, you know, trying to look pretty. But I think that's going to be enough in this spot. Look, my honest opinion on BJ Penn is that he should not be fighting. And, look, I don't want to hear anything about he was fighting. He was fighting Rory. He was fighting Frankie. He was fighting Yair. Look. It's the way he lost. It's the way he just stood. He just stood there and got teed off on. Look, don't get me wrong. Dennis would get his ass whooped in all those fights too. But Dennis would at, Dennis. But Dennis would at least land a punch, and you know, Dennis would at least land some punches. It's just. It's just that I think Dennis can play. Dennis can play this thing uh, two ways. He can either play it safe and you know throw the lead left kick out there, be pretty, and you know just just frustrate BJ. Or he could bang with him, and I think he'll win that way too. Like I said, I don't think BJ should be fighting. I think just like how I said Guida uh, is lost, I think he's lost. I honestly think he came back, you know, for the money, which is not not an issue. But I like I said, I think Dennis has more left in the tank. I think he. I think I'm gonna say I think he beats him on the mat as well. 
Yeah. But like BJ's a BJJ black belt. But like, look, look at all this, all the stories we've heard, man. We've heard back when he was getting ready for the third Frankie Edgar fight that, uh, you know, Mike Dolce brought, you know, Mursad and Nick Lentz down there, and we didn't hear good things. You know what I'm saying? That he was getting teed off. And on. he came out on his tippy toes. And he came out on his tippy toes for that fight. Okay, then he comes back against Ayer and he just stands there. And gets, mean, bro, but that doesn't we, get, matter. we get it, bro. Yeah. He's done. He's done. And I think Dennis has more left in the tank. 30-27. Oh, you don't think he's going to finish him? He's going to nah, finish him, bro. 30-27. Nah, nah, I mean, bottom line is, in both of their primes, BJ would whoop his ass, but BJ is so far beyond his prime. And for anyone to use the example that, you know, <laughs> well, look who BJ's been fighting. Like, that's such, a, that's, that's such a dumb example. It's like, well, BJ, okay, those six guys that BJ fought, yeah, they are better than Dennis Seaver, but those six guys ran BJ over with a truck. How's he going to come back the same? You know what I'm saying, man? And Dennis Seaver, you know, he took that ass whooping by McGregor, but he took the ass whooping better than the, the way that, that BJ has been taking those ass whoopings. You know what I mean? At least he could do something. Yeah, at least he, yeah, I mean, he, at least he can get a significant strike record set on his <laughs> face. You know what I'm saying? Man? And, and against Kawajiri, he had a strong first round, very good balance with the takedown defense it's just that you know that was pre-usada they were both juiced to the gills so kawajiri is kind of tough to take him down when he's uh you know getting that that japanese help man but uh in this spot you know we haven't seen dennis siever fight since the usada era so maybe he's looking a little soft but bottom line man i mean i still think he's got enough to beat bj penn bj is so shot that it's like it's really not going to take much man in his prime he would have went out there boxed up dennis siever from range and Fucking took him down, took his back and choke him out. But, you know, those days are long, long gone. You know what I'm saying? And uh, Dennis Seaver's about to get that victory. So, yeah, I I'm picking Dennis Seaver. Now, next up, we got Tim Means. He's minus 240. The comeback on Alex Garcia is plus 200. Now, you know, it's kind of funny because when Tim Means fought Alex Cowboy the first time, I said what's going to happen is, you know, Alex is going to go out there. He's stronger in the clinch. He's going to beat up his body. You know, he's going to do what he does to everyone, mix in the takedowns, and, you know, either choke out Tim Means or win a decision. So they go out there, and all of a sudden, Tim Means is like judo throwing <laughs> fucking Alex Cowboy, putting him in the clinch, beating him up, taking him down with a fucking blast double, and and then he, uh, he fucked up what would have been his best performance by, by landing that illegal knee. So then they're about to fight again, and like I said in my first in, in my first breakdown, you know, my first prediction of their fight, I said that uh, that Alex Cowboy was going to dominate him. Well, Tim Means dominated Alex Cowboy. So then the second time, I was like, oh, well, you know, I guess I was just wrong. Maybe Tim Means is stronger in the clinch than Alex Cowboy. Then Alex Cowboy goes out there, and he does everything I, I thought he was going to do the first fight. He goes out there, and he dominates Tim Means everywhere, and it, it's to the point where... You know, when he takes Tim Means down, Tim Means quick-tapped. And this isn't the first time Tim Means is quick-tapped. That fight with Matt Brown, he quick-tapped too. And, man, when you dominate someone and you get the chance to rematch them, why would you drop the ball, like, to that extent? And not only that, the quick-tap, like, fight the hands, man. Like, show some toughness, man. And, you know, and then right away he's blaming it on an injury. I just, I don't know where his mind's at. But man, when he's on his game, that hand fighting is disgusting. The way he mixes up those elbows, the way he steps through with his punches, he's absolutely disgusting. He picks dudes apart, and uh, he ruins guys. 
But man, sometimes he will really drop the ball. And with Alex Garcia, that cardio, man, that cardio has got to be questioned, especially uh, post USADA, man. But pre USADA, man, he goes out there, he bombs on dudes. But even back then, he would gas out, you know, past the second round. But he can hurt dudes real bad with his with his overhands and his left hooks. And he can also take guys down, as you saw in that Neil Magny fight. So the game plan here for Alex Garcia would be to take down, you know, kind of like he did to, to Sean Strickland, but keep it on the ground longer, obviously. And potentially, you know, Faraz and them probably saw the tape. Try to find a way to tap out Tim Means, because Tim, Tim Means will tap out fast in the fight. But uh, if this stays standing and Alex Garcia starts, starts gassing out, man, like you saw in his fight with Strickland, like you saw in his fight with Magny, he does struggle on the feet with those long-range strikers, especially when he's gassed out. I gotta emphasize that. As much as it hurts to stay me because of how he burnt me last fight, I'm gonna go with the favorite Tim Means here. I think he'll find a way to done to capitalize when Alex Garcia gasses out. Yeah, man. Um, you know, Tim Means has been one of these guys that I've always been high on, uh, where I said that he has a lot of potential. But to be honest, man, I feel like that potential has ran out. I mean. At 33, 34 years old, I mean, the time has passed him now. That Alex Cowboy fight was his opportunity to break into those rankings and finally start doing things in the sport. Not saying that he wasn't before, but look, um, I just don't... As, if As a betting man, I wouldn't trust Means. I mean, we've seen him go out there and get taken down by Sabah Hamasi, uh, John Howard... Um, you know, he won those fights, obviously, in devastating Cody fashion. Fister. Cody Fister. Cody <laughs> Fister. I mean, we his game his game has not improved, you know. You know, like I was telling you, man, I wish that he would have, you know, switched camps to Jackson's like his old teammate, Ray Borg, because I feel like, you know, maybe they could have, you know, patched up that big hole in his game, the jiu-jitsu. But um, like you said, like you hit on uh, Alex, you know, he gasses out. But, I mean, early. I mean, he's hell on wheels early. And, you know, don't be surprised if Alex comes out here and cracks Tim as well. But, you know, later later on as his fight goes on, you know, the straight punches could play a difference and Tim could catch him and, you know, wobble him and get him out of there. But, you know what, man, I'm going to go with Alex in this spot, man. Plus 200, you know, I, I don't want to call Tim a flake, but he's a 500 fighter and he is a flake, you know. Um, I feel like he, like you said, he is known to drop the ball. And, you know... Alex can can uh, utilize a game plan, like you said. Faraz can utilize a game plan to easily win two rounds here, man. You know, I feel like if he comes out there, holds Tim against the fence, gets an early takedown, Tim will get frustrated. You know, and um, like I said, I don't think his game's improved. And I feel like, you know, at this stage in his career, man, it's just, it's disappointing. And, you know, I think uh, at plus 200, I feel like it might even be worth a shot, man. Um you know, I'm personally not going to bet it, but um, I feel like uh, the, the the task and the game plan is easy easy in this spot. Hold him against the fence, get a takedown, and, you know, hold on for dear life in the, dirt, in the third round when he starts getting tired. But like you said earlier, Tim could catch him with some straight punches, some elbows, and, you know, we've seen Alex wobbly several times before. And, you know... My thing with Alex is even when he gets on top, sometimes he has a tendency just to lay there and get elbowed on the head, and you know Tim's going to be throwing those elbows if he's on bottom. But uh, I'll go with Alex just to go the opposite way. Dominic Reyes is minus 400. Joachim Christensen is plus 325. And 
Joachim Christensen is what we like to refer to as a jobber. Someone that's brought in to lose, someone that's brought in to make me look good. And initially, they had a Russian prospect to go in there and take care of Christensen, but now they brought in the very impressive Dominic Reyes. He's coming off a very devastating head kick uh, knockout win, which you should check out You know, on YouTube on the regional scene, man. It was... It was serious, and I think they're expecting him to go out there and finish uh, Joachim quick, so we'll have to see what happens. Uh, obviously, I'm staying away because, you know, he's not proven against real guys. I don't think he's been past the first round, but I'm going to pick him to win this fight. I think they know uh, I think they know a little something here. Yeah, I mean, I would never pick Christensen in a fight, so I'm going to go with Reyes by an early finish. Now, I'm very excited about this one, man, because we got Felice Herrig. She's minus 115. She's taking on Justine Keish, who's minus 105. Now, Shaq, are you surprised that uh, Felice Herrig is only minus 115 after uh, a victory over the very hyped Alexa Grasso? I mean, yeah. It was disappointing when the line, the line came out and, you know, Keish was the uh, favorite, but they, they know the deal. The lines makers are the lines makers for a reason. Look, this is how this fight's going to go down. Well, let me just say one thing. Justine Keish is nonstop action, and she's what we call an offensive juggernaut. You know, Felice, you know, I feel like she might be the more, you know, experienced fighter. Um, but the thing is, I don't think she has the cardio or the heart to match with Justine Keish. And I don't think she can fight at the pace that Keish does. I feel like Keish is just straight aggression, always in your face. She does end up in bad positions a lot, but if you watch the tape, she finds her way out of these bad positions every single time, and she always comes out on top. She's like a, like, you know how little uh, Felice Herrick is the little bulldog? I mean, we could almost call Keish that. I mean, she is a bulldog. She comes out, and she wins every single exchange on the feet. Even though she gets tagged, she will get the better of it. And, you know, I just think that Felice does not want to engage in a firefight with this girl but it doesn't even matter if she doesn't want to because Keish will make it once she'll she'll present those openings and Felice will like just be so baited into engaging with her because her chin's wide open or she feels like she can get a takedown and take her back but she's gonna end up losing every single scramble and she's gonna end up getting beat on the feet and um you know I honestly think Keish might even be worth a max bet here man I feel like she's a future top 10 top 5 uh, chick at straw weight and you know like I said earlier I question that heart of Felice Herrick when things don't go her way she finds a way out don't forget about the random Marcos quick tap on the tough show the Paige Van Zandt fight and you know I know she's on a 2 fight win streak but Kylan Kern come on and then you know her next fight against Grasso I feel like it was more of a case of Grasso having a little bit of stage fright I don't know what it was she wasn't committing on anything and, you know, it was easy for Felice to just walk her down and, you know, land a couple right hands and a left high kick. But that isn't going to happen here. Keisha's going to get after her and break her. Well said, my man. I mean, basically, I love Keish. I mean, she's basically like my, my chick, Manny Sanchez. Nonstop action, bell to bell. She's going to try to win this fight. She's going to fight for your money like no other. Real quick, before I continue... Can you address this whole bullshit about people t acting like she lost the Anzeroff and Yoder fights? I mean, she clearly won the Androff. I thought she won every round. The first round, okay, yeah, she lent Androff landed a couple right hands, but it wasn't anything serious. She gets hit every single fight. That's not going to change. But 
she anytime Androv landed one big shot, Justine would land three quick shots, and it was always we're always coming forward. We we get those takedowns at the end of the rounds, and you know we land the more violent shots that these chicks cannot handle. These chicks cannot handle that pressure. They can't keep up that pace, and you know they start fading. So she lost every round in that fight. The Yoder fight, she lost the second round by you know going for an arm bar and losing positions which i'm not saying is not going to happen she at some point she probably will lose position in this fight and get her back taken or get mounted but she will find a way out of it and you know that third round yoder almost had the fight won. she was up ahead in that third round but when Keish got back on the feet we got right in her face like we always do we cracked her with the uppercut and yoder wanted no more she could not she couldn't handle the pace anymore and she pulled guard and we won the fight and Felice Herrig is known for quitting. I mean, you saw the Paige Van Zandt fight. And just because, you know, I, I hear people talking about how, oh, this is a new Felice Herrig. This is a new Felice Herrig because she beat 1-5 Kaylin Curran. This is a new Felice Herrig because she, I mean, did she arguably lost to Alexa Grasso, man. I mean, look, the, the second round she won, for sure. The third round she lost, for sure. All comes down to how you score that first round. You remember that knee at the end of the first round where she, she screamed, man. She screamed, man. She's going to eat some knees in this one. Dude, she's going to eat a lot of knees in this one. The thing I love about Justin Keisha is right when the bell rings, she's already she's already landed four kicks in a row. <laughs> then they tie up in the clinch. She's landing knees to the body. Then she's uh, throwing straight punches. And she does get hit with a lot of punches, but it's not flash-like. It's not, excuse me, it's not flush like Yancey Medeiros versus Dustin Poirier flush. It's flush in the sense that it hits her, but she finds a way to slightly roll with the punches to where they don't affect her that badly. And, man, she is nonstop. Watch her fight with Random Marco. She destroyed Random Marco's bell to bell. And the thing I love about Keish, among other things, I love everything about Keish, but she'll get taken down. She'll get in a bad position. She will not only scramble out of the position, she'll scramble and get on top into a dominant position also her sprawl she's got a heavy sprawl she's she's deceptively strong for the weight class these chicks cannot believe how strong she is and i feel like her muay thai background really pays dividends here but it's not just that her ground games her ground games legit too man and with felice look i got a lot of respect for her she's a vet in this game but she needs to fight at her very slow pace. She can't handle when someone's in her face bringing the fight to her, someone that will take her best shot and keep going. And that's the kind of chick that Justine is. Justine, I mean, low-key, she's becoming one of my favorite chick fighters, man. And I feel like we're going to be making a lot of money on her in years to come. So much respect uh, to both these warriors, but... I'm not going to actually disclose right now what I'm going to bet on it because I haven't decided yet, but it is that season, man, and I think we made some good points, so I'm leaning to to go go big on this, but you know what? If, if anyone's listening and they want to go big on this too, let's wait a little bit. Let's wait for that Felice Herrig money to come in. Let's try to get this plus money. Once that happens, let's move in, so be patient. Patience is a virtue, but yeah, I got Justin Keish all day. I think she's about to go out there handle business and the old problems will reappear reappear for felice herrig look felice herrig will rebound she'll get a win here or there i mean she'll win she'll beat uh angela hill you know what i'm saying she'll, <laughs> she'll be <laughs> right that she might not win that you know what i'm saying she'll win she'll win she'll be heather joe clark again or some shit you know what i'm saying but look justine quiche i'm telling you right now look out for this chick she is going to be winning a lot of fights in the UFC, so yeah, I, I, I'm thinking about going big here, man.
Yeah, man, I agree. Um, quiche all the way. So, Tim Bosch, I, I think we got to call one of our buddies Kelton for this fight. Yeah, let's go. Well, Shaq, it is max bet season. And on this next fight, I actually don't have anything but one of my favorite young handicappers. I like this kid a lot. Very cool guy, very humble guy. My man, MMA Kelton, is joining us right now during max bet season to talk about this Hendricks versus Bosch fight. Kelton, how's it going, man? Man, it is going awesome, and I just want to say... I am very honored to be on the show. Probably been a bucket list item of mine for about a year now. Huge fan of the show. Can't miss every fight week. Um, very happy to be on here and very happy to talk about this fight with you guys. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm good, man. Um, I'm, re I'm ready to hear your uh, thoughts on your uh, two max bits. Yeah, I mean, Kelton, look, man. We're going to talk about this Hendricks versus Bosch fight, but look, you're the guy that has the balls to max bet Johnny Hendricks when you know that you know, he's won one time in his last four fights, but he has moved up a weight class. It looks like he's, you know, he's feeling good again. Tell us your reasoning and tell us uh, why you're max betting Johnny Hendricks here. All right, man. Well, firstly, I do want to say that I think the uh, I think the perception of Johnny Hendricks is uh, a little bit more negative than uh, it should be. So you look back, he did lose the title to Robbie Lawler in a fight that, you know, I think he won. Comes back, meets um, beats Matt Brown, then meets uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who not only is just a horrible stylistic matchup for him, that was his first fight uh, away from Team Takedown, first fight with a new, new uh, nutritionist. So there was just all kinds of uh, recipes for disaster in that fight for him. Then fights uh, Kelvin Gastelum, and... You know, he doesn't get his ass completely whooped. He, uh, he he has a close fight with Kelvin. We all know what a badass Kelvin is. Uh, Hendricks had his moments in that fight, so I don't think that was too bad of a performance. Then goes out against Neil Magny, and um, I thought, I mean, I had a bet on Neil Magny there, and I thought Hendricks won that fight. It's really all about how you really score the fights. Sure, he did take him down consistently. He didn't really do a whole lot. I thought it could have been scored either way, but uh, solid performance nonetheless. Didn't look bad by any means. So now he comes back up to uh, 185 pounds against Hector Lombard, and I thought he looked great in this fight, man. He looked mobile. I think the confidence was really the most important factor for him in that fight. You know, his movement looked better better than ever uh, his head movement uh you know he, he landed good shots from the clinch man uh he did a really good job faking the takedowns and just launching those overhands and uppercuts um just looked amazing man and i really like the way he uh he, he spoke uh, after the fight uh, i feel like he really has his confidence back and looking at the other side of the table here um you got, you got tim boach who I don't personally think very highly of. Uh, I think he wins fights. Most of his wins in the UFC are come from behind wins using that uh, big power that he has. So I think uh, what we're looking at here, I think Johnny Hendricks is the uh, the much more technical striker. I think he should be able to uh, pick Boach apart with the striking. Um, I'm not worried about uh, Tim Boach where, um, hitting Hendricks with one of those big shots. I think Hendricks has a very underrated chin. The guy can take a shot. He took uh, some of Lombard's very best shots in uh, that fight. Um, the really only fight he's been stopped in is that uh, Stephen Thompson fight, and that was more of an accumulation of very sneaky strikes from a very, very elite striker there. Uh, I don't see Tim Boach being able to land that big bomb. Um, and another thing with the uh, the, the wrestling, uh, I'm not convinced that Tim Boach will be able to take uh, Johnny Hendricks down. Sure, he's got a size advantage, but I think pound for pound, Johnny Hendricks is actually the, the much better wrestler. He's got very good takedown defense. He did a good job stuffing... Uh, 
takedowns from Lombard. Uh, he got taken down once by Lombard, but got right back up to his feet. And I think, if anything, guys, this may be a hot take. I think Johnny Hendricks can go out there and land takedowns on Tim Boach, man. Uh, you may see he's the smaller guy, but I just saw last week Rafael Dos Anjos, who's a much smaller man than Tarek Safadine. He was able to go out there and take down Tarek Safadine. So uh, I like Johnny Hendricks. Uh, with the striking here, I think he can absolutely uh, outstrike Boach here over the course of three rounds, maybe even land takedowns. I got Hendricks by decision, but uh, we've seen Boach knocked out by uh, very bad uh, fighters in the past, like the Ed Hermans of the world. So a knockout wouldn't surprise me, but I think uh, we're looking at a Hendricks decision. Let me ask you what you think about this possible scenario, man, because look, obviously, since Hendricks is the smaller guy, I expect him to be the faster guy. I think he can go out there and score takedowns, like you said. He is definitely... I mean, there's no debating. He is a better wrestler than Tim Bosch. There is that size advantage for Bosch, but, you know, it's going to make him slower. But tell me what you think about this possible scenario, Kelton. What if Hendricks goes out there, wins the first two rounds, you know, pretty easily, he cruises, but Hendricks historically is known to fade in that third round. You watch the Carlos Condit fight. You watch... Uh, that first Robbie Lawler fight, he was out on his feet badly in that third round, and especially the Carlos Condit fight. So are you worried at all about a situation where you know Tim Bosch has this affinity for going out there in that third round after he gets his ass whooped the first two and uh, you know scoring a, a historic comeback like he did against Okami, and I think he had one more as well Tavares. against Brad Tavares, man. So uh, are you at all worried about a situation like that? I mean, it... Anything could really happen here, guys, but uh, I, I think uh, at 185, this really is a great weight class for Johnny Hendricks. I don't think he's going to go out there and gas in the third round. The third round of the Lombard fight really was his most successful. I didn't think he looked gassed there at all, um, especially with the way I think the fight's going to be. I think it's going to be a very, um, you know, go in and... Uh, Get in and out, hit uh, Boach with good shots, uh, use that footwork, do a lot of uh, conserving energy. So I'm not really worried about Johnny Hendricks gassing here, especially with the uh, the less weight he'll have to cut. I think he should be uh, much fresher in there. And another thing, um, that, that Lombard fight was his first fight at 185, so he has a fight at 185 under his belt. So uh, he knows what it's like to go in there and fight at 185 pounds. So I think we should even see a, uh, a better Hendricks than uh, he looked in that Lombard fight. Oh uh, yeah. So uh I wanted to ask you how wor how worried are, uh, are you about the size uh the size difference? And you know, I think you hit uh, some good points. You know, Hendricks is like a two-time national champion. And you know, I honestly thought the Hector Lombard fight was a close close decision. I thought Hector looked good as well, but like you said, in since the first Robbie fight at 170, he's obviously not responding to punishment the same up until that Lombard fight you know for once he actually didn't fold and you know uh what's the word I'm looking for not find his way out but you know just just sit back and and you know stand there and get hit instead you know he fired back and you know he won the decision and so you know I think it was the right move uh moving up to 185 because you know he's got the more water in his head he's not killing himself to make weight and um so I think it was a good move but you know in this fight you know I am on, if I was betting Hendricks, you know, I am worried about the size uh, disadvantage. Because, I mean, we're talking about Boch, you know, who fought at 205 before. Um, like you said before, he's got a lot of comeback wins. But um, I actually agree with Kelton here because, you know, I don't think the the fading the fading late is going to be an issue here because, um, because of the 15 extra pounds Johnny has, man. And at the end of the day, he can always rely to, you know ankle diving and uh holding holding on to holding on to him against the fence and you know uh 
Boach, man, let's be honest here. He's on his way out. You know, he's coming here to get that six-figure paycheck, and um, I think he'll. I think he'll accept getting beat. You know, at this stage in his career. Not saying that he doesn't have heart, but if things aren't going his way, I could see him just, you know, accepting it because I mean, you know, he's on his way out and. He makes good money. He's already done. He's done all this. As whereas Hendrix is still trying to make a name for himself. Um, you know, I think Johnny's probably doesn't have all the money that he, you know, he should have. But that doesn't matter. But uh, I, I agree with you. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on it just because, uh, you know, the size, the size really worries me. But um, I, I think you hit on some good points. Does the size worry you at all, Kelton? I mean, as somebody who is betting Hendrix, I think the size would be my biggest concern. But uh, sometimes it, it, it's a factor. Sometimes it's not so much a factor uh, like we just saw, like I mentioned in the uh, Dos Anjos-Safadine uh, fight. I think there's just too much of a skill difference here that uh, maybe it plays a little bit of a factor. But I just think Johnny Hendrix is so much better. Like Shaq said, he's got a lot left in his career to give. I, I don't think it should be too much of a problem. I'm with you, man. And uh, before I let you go, Kellen, I heard not only do you have one max bet on this card. I mean, it is max bet season. We can't forget that. But I heard you're taking a, a stab at the Italian stallion, Marvin Vittori. No. That is right. I do have two max bets on this card. Um, I am actually 8-0 and on my max bets in 2017. I did have uh, – this is my first time having two on one card. I did have two on that uh, – Jimmy Manuel, Corey Anderson card, but unfortunately, uh, Tom Breeze did suffer an injury, so that canceled out one of my max bets. But yeah, man, I do have Marvin Vittori here. I think this is just a uh, an amazing matchup for him, man. So you got the young Italian stallion, uh, improving fighter, amazing grappler. Uh, I, I like a lot. He did lose that fight to uh, Antonio Carlos Jr., but we know what a beast that guy is. He, and, you know, Marvin showed a lot in that fight, and he. On the other side, you got uh, Vitor Miranda, who he does have that great striking, but I think um, th there's a little, there's a lot left to be desired when it comes to the uh, takedown defense and the grappling. Um, I, I, it's a pretty simple, um, you know, angle on this fight, but it, it's a it's a good one in my opinion. Uh, if Vitor Miranda can go and get taken down and grinded out by Chris Camozzi, what is this young Italian stud going to do to this poor man? I don't see anything that shows me that Vitor Miranda can uh, stuff the takedowns of Marvin Vittori. So I like Marvin Vittori to go out there and, uh, you know, win this fight on the ground. And I think he could probably surprise a lot of people in the stand-up exchanges. If it even, uh, goes there, I'm, I'm assuming we'll see some, uh, striking in this fight. I think Marvin can surprise a lot of people and, uh, land some real good strikes on Vitor. I'm not saying he'll knock him out, but I think he can absolutely hold his own on the feet. But, uh, as somebody who is betting on Marvin, I would like to see him go for those takedowns. And I think he has a, uh, a very easy night in front of him. I like him to get the, uh, I'll say a first round submission. Yeah, man, I'm totally with you on your uh, max bet against Vittori. You know, I even told Dan against Miranda. Against uh, yeah, against uh, Vitor. You know, you know, I think Vitor. Me personally, I think he's a little old. Um, not on his way up, but you know, just just old. You know, and and I'm gonna go ahead and say it. I think Marvin beats him on the feet. Marvin's more explosive. He's faster. He's got better wrestling, better jujitsu. I think he wins in every aspect of the game. And, you know, he's got that Kings uh, MMA left kick. And I think it's going to hurt Vitor. And I think he's just way too explosive for him. I think he can take him down 
when he wants to. And I mean, let's not forget, he almost finished Carlos Jr. in that second round. I mean, he was pounding, almost uh, had him out of there. But, you know, Carlos Jr. is no slouch. But um, I think if he gets Vitor in those type of positions, man, Vitor is going to accept it. He's going to feel feel that damage. And um, Marvin's just going to have his way with him. Yeah, he, here's my thing, Kelton, with that fight. You know, obviously Marvin Vitor, he's a kid that has... A tremendous amount of potential and not only that you know you've heard on the show many times we talk about the guys that thrive in king's mma and vittori is absolutely one of those guys he's not you know because when i heard mac desi was training at king's mma i was like oh my god they're they're about to ruin this guy right but vittori is the kind of guy that's going to come out here looking better every single fight and you know you mentioned the southpaw stance the signature king's mma left body kick that he brings to the table so here's my question kelton you know, because there is the possibility that he goes out there and takes him down. I think everything you said from a logical standpoint makes sense. But I want to make an excuse for Vitor Miranda because, you know, I know he goes out there, he loses to Chris Camozzi, he gets taken down by Chris Camozzi on paper. Those are some really bad things, right? That that Like, you don't just get taken down by Chris Camozzi. But I really maintain this theory that, you know, not saying he'd beat him in a rematch, but I, I really believe that he was sick in that fight, man. He didn't look like himself. He looked... Maybe, you know, him being 38 years old, maybe that's catching up with him. But let's say that Vitor shows up like he did when he was on his three-fight win streak, when he was head-kicking everyone. And let's say that Marvin Vittori goes out there, they want to stand and bang a little bit. I'm curious to see if, you know, Vitor's, you know, his veteran savvy, if he can go out there, capitalize on some openings, find a head kick. But based on the pace and the pressure that Marvin Vittori brings to the table... I do think that he's going to be too much for the aging uh, for the aging Miranda. So, Kelton, man, I, I wish you the best of luck. And before you go, I, I never said my opinion on the the Johnny Hendricks Tim Bosch fight. And you know what, man, I'm with you. I'll tell you why. I, I like it when these guys that struggle to cut weight move up in weight class. And I'm not talking about a guy like Clay Guida, who you know we know that's that's more of a lazy type thing. That's more of like a you know you're at the end of your career type thing. With Hendricks, he really needed to make a change. You know, he was on a three fight losing streak. And, you know, the, the fight against uh, Magny, that was very close. But he goes back up to 185 and goes out there against a very dangerous Hector Lombard who, I mean, you remember that sprawl Hector Lombard had against Jake Shields? You remember when he, when he judo throwed Jake Shields for three rounds? I mean, Hector Lombard is not a guy that you go out there and beat easily. And Hendricks went out there. He looked lighter on his feet than he has in years. And he was able to get back to the combination striking that he showed in that first Robbie Lawler fight, the one that won him the title, man, you know, the way that he sets up his jab, he mixes it up to the body, the leg kicks, the knee, oh, and, oh, the <laughs> knee was a big weapon against Hector Lombard, I liked almost how Should Hector knee? would go for a takedown, and there was check. almost, he had, obviously the check knee, but what I'm referring to here is he had like that Uriah Faber jump knee where, you know, you got the single leg and then he goes for the jump knee with the mm-hmm. other knee, I, I really appreciated the work that that Hendricks brought to the table. Now, Bosch is always a tough out. He's been in the UFC for a long time for a reason, man. But this is a situation where Hendricks should go out there and beat him in every area. You know, maybe I would be a little bit worried about the third-round rally, but not too much. My pick is Johnny Hendricks. And Kelton, man, I wish you the best of luck with your max bets, bro. Appreciate it very much, man, and I appreciate you having me on the show. It was a fun chat with you guys. Oh, absolutely. We'll do it again soon, man. Before you go... Let the fans know where they can follow you. Anything else you want to tell them, go ahead. Yeah, man. The fans can uh, find me on YouTube at MMA Kelton. I do uh, I do breakdowns for uh, just about every card. I do 
roundtable breakdowns for uh, all the pay-per-views. I do a couple other series. I've been doing live reactions lately. All kinds of fun shit over on my YouTube channel, so uh, would appreciate it if you guys check that out. You can follow me at Twitter at MMA Kelton. I'm down to talk fights with just about anybody. You can uh, follow my tracked bets at uh, Bet MMA Tips, MMA Kelton, Capertech, MMA Kelton. Pretty much everything is MMA Kelton at this point, but uh, yeah, man, that's that's just about it, man. Appreciate you guys having me on once again. Bucket list item checked. <laughs> you got it man let's get let's get it this weekend all right hey let's do it man well kelton man he's a he's a he's a sharp young lad <laughs> yeah man i like him a lot uh i'm looking forward to talking with him more in the future yeah definitely good luck with with him with that max bet on johnny hendrix hope he comes through for you but dude main event of the evening let's get right down to business look kevin lee is minus 130 the comeback on michael chiesa is plus 110 what are you thinking, man? Kevin Lee's been looking yeah. better than ever. I mean, it's a tough fight, man. Um, you know, me personally, man, after uh, Michael Chiesa's last fight, you know, when I bet on Darius and he burned me bad, I said I never I never bet against him unless he's fighting, you know, the top the top of the division, like the Edsons of the world or the, uh, you know, the Michael Johnsons, the Poyers of the world. But, you know, man, I really like this uh, Kevin Lee guy a lot, man. I feel like... You know, he's still got some, you know, bad habits. You know, he's still a little uh, stuck in the mud a little bit. But, I mean, he's got that hard right kick. And, you know, we've seen Kiesa hurt to the body, you know, several times. And, you know, Kiesa gets, you know, in Kiesa's fights, all of his fights kind of go the same way, man. I mean, even dating back to tough when he when he's fighting, you know, James, Vic, and Lawrence, you know, he starts off getting teed off on the feet, or at least losing. And then when he gets on top, something just happens, and the fight's over. He's got, he's so heavy. I mean, this is a guy cutting down from, like, 190, and he's, like, six foot one. So I just feel like when he gets those double underhooks against these guys, they just panic. But, you know, I don't think that's going to happen here because I can almost say the same thing for Kevin Lee, man. Like, when Kevin Lee gets on top, he does the same shit as well, man. Like, he pounds guys out. You know, he breaks guys like Trinado. You know, Kiesa did as well, but Kevin Lee finished him. And, you know, uh, you know, he can take hard body kicks. We haven't really seen him hurt to the body like we've seen Kiesa. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, he got knocked out by a jiu-jitsu guy, but... <laughs> by a jiu-jitsu coach. <laughs> you know, he got knocked out by a jiu-jitsu coach, but, you know, it's good that he got those L's out the way. And, you know, Kiesa's gotten his L's out the way, so, you know, Kiesa had to learn some hard lessons, even though I don't consider that Lozon... I don't consider the Lozon fought a loss because I honestly think he was going to come back and win that. Well, I lost my Kiesa <laughs> ticket there. <laughs> you know, I don't... You know what I mean, but... uh you know, it's good that he's taking his uh, lessons, but man, how I see the fight coming down, I see Kevin Lee blasting him with that right kick to the body, and I feel like, you know, um, you know, Kiesa's relied on, you know, muscling these guys to the ground and, you know, just ending the fight, but I feel like Kevin's going to stuff that, man. I feel like he's going to struggle to get Kevin to the mat, and I feel like Kevin's just going to eventually wear him down with that body kick, and, you know, I feel like Kiesa's going to... uh Actually, hey, he's gonna get broken in this one, man. I feel like Kevin Lee's a you know another future top ten guy, and uh, I think he'll pull it off. You make some great points, but I mean, I think Kevin Lee is a freak athlete, man. I mean, like not only recently, but you date back to a couple of his other fights, like with Brazeras, with John Tuck. I mean, he throws like flying kicks and shit. He's super. Seriously. He's super athletic. That head kick he rocked. He, he rocked uh, Trinaldo with. Oh my god. 
And also, his chokes are serious. But here's the, here's the deal, man, with, with Kiesa. I know on paper it looks like, oh, you know, Kevin Lee's the, the athletic, the explosive, the dynamic guy. And, you know, Kiesa looks like a bum. <laughs> but Kiesa beats, he doesn't just find ways to win. He beats legit dudes. Like, he beats Benny. He beats Vic. He beats Ayakinta, Trinaldo, Jim Miller. Like those are legit dudes. He finished most of those dudes. I mean, you don't you don't just finish Benil Darius. You don't just finish James Vick, Al Ayakinta, Jim Miller. You know what I'm saying? He finds a way to win. And also, I feel like it's just his body type that's kind of like you know that kind of maybe looks weird to people that they think that he's not athletic because you look at his technique i mean he went out there and dropped masvidal with a one two you know what i'm saying and i you know i know crookshank dropped him too that guy's that guy's athletic that guy's a freak but look fucking kiesa and masvidal said that kiesa was the hardest he's ever been hit at 155 so this guy has underrated power not only that he's got underrated ground and pound you know we watched that jim miller live that Jim Miller fight live, and we thought like, oh, Jim Miller took one shot of ground and pound to quit. But then I watched it the other day. It was not one shot of ground and pound to quit. He 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 was eating elbow after elbow. Then he ate a couple shots straight on the chin. He didn't know where he was, and then he got tapped out. So that wasn't one shot of ground and pound to quit. And also his body lock. I mean, so he goes out there against Benny. Benny starts hitting him with big leg kicks, and. Uh, then once uh you know once Benny starts slowing down a little bit, Kiesa got him with that with that body lock to the lateral drop, and I couldn't believe it when they were tied up. I couldn't believe the size difference because Benny ain't a small 155 or Benny's talked about going to 170 in the past, and Kiesa I mean he uses his size so properly in there, and man his squeeze, serious. Sure is nasty because look against Benil Darius you know they start off and Benny's like oh yeah th th this guy ain't gonna tap me right that all of a sudden the choke's not even fully locked in and Benny's tapping because that's the kind of squeeze that Michael Chiesa possesses and I understand he's coming off a back injury I understand he's coming off a year layoff but he said that he needed that time off to heal he needed that time off to be better he feels like he's you know in the best shape that he's ever been. I know everyone says that before a fight, but he feels like he needed that to get to where he is now. And I feel like he's the kind of guy that rises to the occasion. Because, look, if you can lose your father while you're on a reality show and then go out there and win the reality show, that shows the mental fortitude of Michael Chiesa. I'm not worried about any of this press conference shit. I don't, you know, that's all for promotion. I'm not worried about that having any effect on the fight. I just think that... I'm not even going to say, like, weather a storm because it's not like Kevin Lee brings that much of a storm. Kevin Lee is more of a guy that finds the way to win. They're both guys that find ways to win. But I do think that, you know, when Kevin Lee gets on top of you, that's not the end of the world. When Michael Chiesa gets on top of you, that's the end of the world. So that's what I think is going to be the difference, and I think that Michael Chiesa is going to go out there and stop Kevin Lee in the third round. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a... You know, uh, Kiesa, like I said, man, I'm scared to bet against him, man. He's too tough. He's too resilient, and he always finds a way to these guys with ground and pound and choke. So, you know, I'd stay away from a bet and just enjoy it. Yeah, I'm considering him Kiesa plus money, but I haven't decided yet, so stay tuned at bestfightpicks.com. Now, I think it's time for the Big Marley Minute. So joining us now, Kyle Marley. Kyle, how's it going? Great, man. How you doing? Doing amazing. We're just chilling here, and... Uh, I heard you got some DraftKings advice for us. 
Always, always. You ask the questions, I got answers. Man, uh, Sasaki must have scored a lot of points last week, huh? Because, I mean, you know, it's funny because everyone joked about how Scoggins could whoop his ass and then run into a choke, but no one actually thought it would happen again. And then it happened again. <laughs> I'm one of those people, man. I had uh, I had zero Sasaki. Uh, I didn't have a whole lot of Scoggins, but the Scoggins that I did have, uh, those lineups killed me. They were good other than him. But yeah, man, you're right. Sasaki scored 101 and a half points, and Scoggins only had 36 and a half. Uh, so for how much each of them cost, it's that's ridiculous. 101 from a huge pump play, that's going to win a lot of GPPs. Now, Kyle, you mentioned that Colby Covington was a guy that goes out there, and he usually sets DraftKings records. How did you do this time? Uh, yeah, man, I, I was thinking originally I was going to do uh, the Covington fade, but as I started making more lineups, he just fit in so perfectly at his price at 8500 so I ended up using a lot more Covington than I thought I, I would. Uh, he was the highest-owned uh, player in the GPP, so I'm looking at 56% drafted in the Haymaker. So that's pretty uh, pretty high ownership. He only got 96.5 points, though. I was talking last week how he's usually getting over 100, and that's that's beautiful. Uh, however, usually he costs around $10,000, so that's 10x of his salary. So he basically beat his salary, which was 8500 last week. He de- he got over 10x, and that's what you want to see. 10 extra salary, and you're good to go. So, I mean, what was the, the biggest mistake we made? Was it that thinking Tarek Safadine was a live dog? Uh, that, that, was, that was one of the two, I would say. Not only did I think he was a live dog, but uh, I thought he would do a little bit more action, maybe try to get some takedowns of his own. But, yeah, I definitely learned my lesson with Safadine. Don't pick boring strikers who are just going to wait for their, for their pick – for their shots, basically, you don't want to you don't want to wait wait around in DraftKings. You want the active fighters, people who are going to go for the takedowns. So yeah, I screwed up, took too much Safadine. And our other mistake, man, you already mentioned it, Sasaki. We we should have faded dumb Scoggins, but we didn't do it. I know, man. I'm gonna gonna regret that one, right? The next time he fights, mm-hmm. you know, I I'll make I'll make sure to make a mental note that uh, Justin Scoggins hasn't learned his lesson yet. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, definitely noted. Yeah. For sure. So, I mean, what are some uh, some lessons you take from last week and, and move it on to this week? Uh, I mean, I didn't learn a whole lot other than that Safadine mistake. I mean, I only played Safadine because he was so cheap on DraftKings. Um, if he was more expensive, I wouldn't have played him. But just thinking back, that really wasn't the smartest play. And Sasaki was cheaper. We, that was the one mistake I think I made was I could have had Sasaki in the lineups that I had Safadine in. And we knew Scoggins makes those mistakes. So, I mean, that was the one thing I learned last week. Uh, but I've been in it for a long time. I see, I've seen a whole lot of these mistakes. So I, you learn as you go, but I, I've already learned a lot of it. So what did you learn? I mean, I learned that uh, I should never trust Justin Scoggins ever again, even if I think that he would be a – you know, a high point scorer because, you know, he's got that point karate style. When he goes out there and gets choked, I mean, Sasaki, even though he took that ass whooping, the fact that he won via submission, that scores more points than all the shots and suplexes that Scoggins landed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's good learning right there. Let's fade Scoggins next time. Yeah, now let me ask you this, man. You know, for all the guys that are out there killing it on DraftKings, is it really a matter of just having multiple lineups? I mean, if I only have one lineup, is that kind of like trying to play the lotto, basically? 
No, definitely not. But it also depends on what tournament you're entering as well. So the more people that are in that tournament, like the $3 Haymaker, where there's or $4, whatever it is nowadays, where there's like 20,000 people in it, it does hurt you a little bit to have one lineup because a whole bunch of other people are going to have that one lineup as well. So the more shots you could take, the more combinations you have, the better chance you have. Uh, and that goes with any tournament as well. But some of the best players only have one lineup each week, and they clean up. If you have the same lineup in all the tournaments and that lineup hits, then you win literally all the money that week. Um, so I, I don't think that's a bad idea to have one lineup. Uh, um, it just sucks when, you know, your first fighter goes out there and puts up a zero and then, you know, you're not going to win a GPP. So that's why I like to have more than one lineup. I mean, I got more chances to hit that first place prize and that's always the goal, that first place prize. You don't want to double your money in a tournament. Uh, cause you could do that in a 50, 50 where you don't have to finish top 25% to double your money. So it really depends on what tournament you're in. Uh, it's, it's, and what type of player you are, you could be a one lineup type of player and it could work out for you. Uh, but I would definitely recommend maybe entering a three entry max and doing all three of those entries and see how multiple entries work for you. So Kyle, this weekend, the main event, you have Michael Chiesa taking on Kevin Lee. And I mean, this strikes me as the kind of fight where there's going to be a bunch of crazy scrambles. You know, both guys might get rocked. Is this the kind of situation where you put both guys on your lineup? Yeah, cash games, uh, the head-to-heads, the 50-50s, the double-ups, I do like it. Both of them on your lineup, that definitely works. You're going to get more than 100 points between the two of them combined. Uh, so I always like that. But again, tournaments, you don't, you don't want to stack in tournaments because you want six wins. It's always the goal, six wins in tournaments. So it depends on what you're playing. But as long as you're doing a bunch of head-to-heads or double-ups, I, I do like that play a lot, stack them both in there. Take your, your 130 points or whatever is going to be scored in this fight. Um, but this is also a good, a good one to, to pick your fighter in GPPs. Whoever you think is going to win, they're going to score 10x of their salary. So if Chiesa wins, he's going to get more than 80 points because his salary is $8,000 on DraftKings. So 10x that, he's going to get more than 80 points. He's going to be looking good on GPPs. However, I'm going with Lee on this one. I, I like Lee everywhere this fight goes. I like his odds, too. Um, so at 8,200, if he wins, he's definitely going to be scoring more than uh, 82 points. So I, I'm going to have Lee in a lot of my lineups. But if you're picking Chiesa, he definitely has to be on your team because whoever wins this fight is going to score a lot of points. Now, do you think that this girl, Justine Kish could be a secret weapon on people's lineups just because she's a relentless point fighter. It's nonstop action, bell to bell. She's always attacking her opponent. That's the kind of person I want on my DraftKings lineup, right? And, but, wait, but wait, Kyle, she's not going to finish the fight, though. That's the one thing. Yeah, I, I would agree on both of those. Although both fighters in this fight, whoever wins, again, back to the last fight, they're going to score a lot of points because it's going to be a lot of takedowns, a lot of ground transitions, and that's going to rack up the points. So, again, whoever you like in this fight, I think, should be on your team. I like Kish as well, Kish as well, whatever her name is. Uh, I like her, and I've been on her and Herrig in their last fights. So let me check. Herrig in her last fight, she was the big underdog. Grasso came in uh, pretty heavily touted. And Herrig got 76 points, and her salary was $7,100. So she got that 10x 
Um, this I don't I don't think it's as hard of a fight as her last one with Keish, but I think it's going to be a lot of ground scrambles, and and those points are just going to rack up. So I'm going to have a little bit of both of these fighters in my lineups, honestly, because I'm not a one lineup kind of guy. So let's say I have ten lineups. I'm probably going to put Kish in about four of them and maybe Herrig in two or three of them because I, I definitely want the winner on my team. So I'll play them both. So we're thinking both guys in the main event, Justine Kish now. You know, let's get two favorites in there to kind of pad the team a little bit. What are you thinking about Daryl Horcher or Eric Koch? Because in my opinion, both of them have the potential to go out there and uh, finish their opponent in a pressing fashion. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Horcher will be a pretty popular play because, I mean, Powell is not good. <laughs> um, so Horcher should get a finish honestly so if he can get a finish he's going to get a lot of points you just want to make sure that finish is in the first or second round um if you think he can get a first or second round finish he should be on your team i'm just not sure i feel like he's going to be so owned i don't know how much of him i want um because let's say he's 40 percent owned by the field and i have 10 lineups if i really like Horcher, i need to have more than four lineups with him on it because i want to have more than the field has of him so if they're 40 percent I need to have about 60%. Um, so I'm not sure if I want to do that or not. But if you go down to Eric Koch, he's 600 less than Horcher. And, yeah, man, Guida's getting old. Koch's looking good. He just doesn't fight enough for me. Uh, you never know if he's injured going into a fight or not. Uh, but I definitely like the Koch play more than Horcher just because he is 600 less. And, like you said, he can go out there and get a finish. Kyle, before I let you go, man, is there is there anyone that's flying under the radar that I'm not looking at that you think maybe has a lot of potential to score some some serious points? I, I, I don't really think so. I don't like this whole bottom tier. I think your best shot would be Kimball um, at 7,500. He could go out there and get the first-round knockout over Stansberry, um, and that's what you like in the GPPs. You want the all-or-nothing kind of guy. So Kimball would be, I think, the best pump play. Unless you think somebody cheaper than him can go out there and get a finish. I mean, there. I'm, hopefully there's a lot of BJ Penn believers. I will be rooting for BJ Penn. But I don't think I can be picking him on my DraftKings team. So, I don't know. I would say Kimball would be your best pump play. Um, if he wins, he's going to score a lot of points. Well, Kyle, it's always a pleasure getting the chance to talk to you, man. I got to step up my DraftKings game big time, you know. The bets are cashing. Top five in Gamble Master, top five in Pick to Click, top five in Tout Master, but the DraftKings is seriously lacking. So it's great to have you on the show, man, trying to strengthen up my game, and all the fans appreciate it. Kyle, let the audience know where they can follow you, and anything else you want to tell the fans, go ahead. Yeah, follow me, Big Marley 3 on Twitter or wherever else. Uh, those are pretty impressive stats, Daniel. I like to hear that, and uh, you will get better at DraftKings, man. The more you play, the better you will get. The more you play, the more you'll learn, and it'll work out for you, man. I promise. A good player like you, you're going to be uh, profiting in no time. Hey, yeah, hit me up on Twitter. Uh, I'll talk fights and DraftKings anytime. Thanks for having me again, man. Hey, the longer you stay, my friend, the better I'll get at DraftKings, man. Amen. <laughs> All right, brother. Talk to you next week. Or actually, we got a uh, week off. I'll talk to you in two weeks, Kyle. All right, man. Sounds good. Enjoy the fights this weekend, and good luck. All right, man. You too. Peace. 
Kyle Marley. Uh, hopefully this week I kill it on DraftKings, man. I've been I've been getting destroyed. Yeah, um, I gotta I gotta learn some more about that DraftKings, man. It sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, it's pretty badass. Let's talk about some of these prelims, man. Because look, we got Carla Esparza. She's minus two seventy. The comeback on Marina Moroz is plus two thirty. Now look, I cash random Marcos as a plus two forty underdog against Carla Esparza. But does Marina Moroz possess the skills? to stop the takedowns and be able to make it close enough to where she could get a split decision on the judges' scorecards. Like you just said, man, I feel like this fight has split decision written all over it, man. Like uh, we all know, not too many chicks of that weight class have the ability to wrestle on Esparza's level. But she's a one-dimensional fighter. That's all she has. I mean, um, you know, Morose has got some good boxing, but, I mean, it ain't nothing too serious. Um... You know, it's got split decision written all over it. If you want to take, if you want to take a shot on Morose, I totally understand because it's more than two to one, and you know it's gonna come down to how the judges scored at the end, and you know that she's better on the feet, and you know, Carla wants no part of any exchanges, so uh, she's gonna be doing a lot of ankle diving, and you know, generally she has success. You know, her last fight, me personally, I thought she won. It was close, but like, um, you know, same things in the past. You know. Not that good on the feet, but just one-dimensional wrestling. But um, I'm going to go with Esparza in this one, 29-28 split decision. Yeah, I'm going to go with Esparza as well, but you know, my hesitation for a bet is the fact that we haven't seen Marina Moroz in a while, and she could make the proper adjustments to go out there and beat Carla Esparza because the blueprint's been laid. Look, you got to have a low stance. you got to pop that jab. You know, Don't throw any unnecessary kicks. And sprawl, man. I mean, if you can keep this fight standing, you can beat Carla Esparza. Now, granted, Carla Esparza has gotten better on her feet. But I do feel like Carla will find a way to win. I'm not going to be surprised by the upset one bit if it happens. But this isn't something that I want to invest my money on. For some reason, I was more confident in Randa to get it done. Just because she has that that Iraqi uh, wrestling background. You know what I'm saying? And I know Marina Rose doesn't have that <laughs> at all. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm going with Carla here. Well, Shaq, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, Shaq, what is the fight to watch for UFC OKC? Man, my fight to watch is going to be uh, Tim Means versus Alex Garcia. I mean, Tim Means, he's always action, one of the flashiest strikers in the division. And, you know, Alex Garcia is one of the most powerful strikers in the division. So it's that, you know, classic matchup of uh, speed and technique versus big looping power punches. So, uh I'm uh, interested to see that. Plus, well, I want to see if Alex can take him down. Yeah, definitely, man. Especially after Tim Means' last performance, you know, it went down the way it went down. Then yeah. two seconds later, he's complaining about an injury. Yeah. He's got a lot to prove to you. I mean, Tim needs this win. If he loses this, I mean, you know, Dana White and the UFC brass, they love him, you know, because yeah. of the way he fights. And if he loses this, I mean, man, it's all the way back down. And with Alex Garcia, if he wins this, that's a two-fight yes, win streak. And huge for him if he wins Yeah, this. it'd be great, you know, because he came into the UFC with a lot of hype, yeah. but had a couple stumbling blocks, and let's see if uh, let's see if he's able to rebound here. Well, not rebound because he's coming off a win, but I'm just saying let's see, let's see if he's able to string together a couple wins. Now, my fight to watch is Eric Koch versus Clay Guida. Look, I feel like... Both these guys are longtime veterans of the sport, but one of them is a youthful veteran. That's Eric Koch. He's only 28 years old, but he's in. He's been in there since the early days of the of the WEC, and he's fought everybody. And I feel like now he's poised to make his title run. He's really fitting into the weight class at 155 pounds. And Clay Guida, what can you say? He's always exciting to watch. 
always brings it. He's beat some legends of the sport. I cannot wait for that matchup. Yeah, man. Uh, Clay Guida, like you said, has got some serious names on his resume, but... You know, Eric Cope, the new breed, man. I, I like his fighting style. I love his offense, and I love his defense, too. So, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC OKC? Man, uh, my fighter to watch is Justine Keish, man. <laughs> you know, I just think she's going to open up some eyes this weekend, and she's going to crack those rankings come uh, Monday. And, you know, um, I just think uh, we're going to have a new uh, strawweight contender. My father to watch is Daryl Horcher. Look, I feel like this is the UFC's way of being like, look, Daryl, we really appreciate the fact that you took the Khabib fight on a week short notice. We know you were just in that terrible motorcycle accident. This is our way of saying thank you. Just take this guy and do whatever you want to do to him. <laughs> thank you very much, Daryl. That is my fighter to watch. Well, we want to thank you guys so much for checking out this very special edition of Half the Battle. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Make sure you follow Shaq at MMAGenius05. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Hook up those five-star reviews. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.